Welcome to Radio Trivia Podcast Edition. I'm Michael T.Y.P. Cole, and with me this week we have Andy Gergen. Hello, how's it going? Now, this isn't your first time on. You you were on not too long ago, right? I was on about, I think, 15 to 20 weeks ago-ish. Really? Well, that's not too bad. It was okay. shortly after I, it was fairly shortly after I, I joined staff. It was the same week, I believe, that I did um, RFN for the first time. Ah, okay. Well, it's good to have you back. Thank you. Good to be back. Well, we've got um, a nice selection here. Andy chose about half. I chose about half. Well, by me, I mean me slash you, the listener. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think we got a, a solid lineup, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, if you don't know how to play, too bad. We're getting started. <laughs> Are you asleep yet? No, but it's very relaxing. It's, it's what we aim to do here at Radio Trivia, <laughs> put people to sleep. Put that on for a good 20 minutes and you'll be out like a rock. But it's uh, it's nice. I, I'm thinking that's got to be something that plays while you're underwater. Some sort of a water stage in, in some game.
That's very, very tropical, tropical sounding. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So why don't you read the question, man? I can do that. I'm going to get shot if I can keep that up. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just read that question? Okay. Question for this for this uh, this particular game is, which stage in this game ends on a roller coaster ride? Hmm. Sounds good. I am pretty sure I know what this one is, especially since uh, since it was my choice. <laughs> I certainly hope so. 
this game this game would be Super Mario Sunshine. The lovely beach adventure. It is a lovely beach adventure. Um, and that's about all it is. Um, I mean, I, I like the game. It's a good game. It's a hard game. Sometimes a bit too hard of a game. Um, but it just doesn't have enough scenic variety. <laughs> it, it does kind of wear down after a while. See, I think I think that may be one of the reasons I like it so much. It just it's it's more memorable to me than maybe some other Mario games, just because. I know exactly what I'm getting myself into when I play it. Like I, I play it because I want to play in that environment. Um, and I can't, you know, there's not any maybe specific environment in any other Mario game that I can think of that compels me to play like 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 the the, the tropical resort does in Sunshine. Um, I really? I, 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 I crave this game once a year. In fact, I haven't played it this summer yet. But uh, every other summer since the game came out, I always set aside a couple of days and and, and play it for a little. I never get very far, but. Um, no, I've never even gotten all 120 shines. I just, I just really like running around in the environment. It just really appeals to me. So I have gotten 100% probably more than once in this game, sadly. Um, it was back when I had more free time. I did that with most of my Mario games. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't felt the urge to go back and play this. And, and the funny thing is, I own the Japanese version of this game, a, a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of the Planet GameCube staff imported this game when it came out in Japan. It was kind of a big I seem to thing recall to that. do, and uh, it was kind of an event. A lot of we had a lot of reviews, a lot of impressions. Um, it was like the thing, you know. Billy had this grand idea, and it was kind of crazy. But everyone who could import did, and um, and so I've only played through it in in Japanese. So um, there is sort of an incentive for me to go back and, and play the English version just because I missed out on the translation and everything. but um, I can't fathom there's that much that's really changed. Yeah, I, I know. It, it but, but still, that, that, that's a fair point. All, all of the, uh, the lovely, surprisingly detailed cutscenes, like in the beginning. But, but yeah, I, um, I, have, yeah, I haven't played this game actually in a little while. I really, sh- I really should play it again. Actually, just uh, listening to this music makes me want to put it in and, and, and play it for a while. So I may have to do that maybe tonight after we're finished. What have I done? <laughs> it gets a bad rap. I mean, it has some really clever level design. I mean, it, it's made by largely the same team that made Mario Galaxy. This was their first Mario game. Well, and I, th- um, I really like the uh, the mechanic of the, of the jetpack. It, it's yeah, it's, I, I do too. I think it's maybe maybe a bit overused. Like the entire game maybe didn't need to be designed around the jetpack. Yeah. But but really, like the the levitation that you get, the the limited levitation you get to jump from platform mm-hmm. to platform. You get really used to that after a while, and when, when, they, when they take it away from you, and those those sections that you know the hard the hard parts, <laughs> um, yeah. man, I, I miss it when when it's not there. Uh, well, I mean, even with it, like levels are tricky. I mean, this is the most complicated Mario 3D worlds really out there. I mean, yeah. they, this is sort of what made them say, "Well, maybe we've gone too far," and they want a different approach, more linear for Mario Galaxy. There is some big and complicated shit you got to do in this game if you want to get the, 100%. Um, the the, the, the uh, theme park level in question, which, by the way, the answer to the question is Pinna Park is the name of the, of the level yeah. with the roller coaster theme. ride. I remember the, the theme park level in particular really just stands out as a very masterfully crafted um, adventure level with lots of really cool toys to play around in. Yeah. It just... It's so much fun to explore a giant theme park. Like it really just more than anything else makes me really appreciate the not the level design, but the environment design in that game. Mm. 
I know what you mean. There's another level that I, I really like in spite of its evilness, which is, um, I think it's one of the later levels where or it's like a, a village at nighttime. And I think one of the levels that you have to play and one of the, the shines you have to get is uh, where your jetpack has been stolen from you, your flood has been stolen from you. And this is outside of the kind of warp zone areas. So uh, you have to actually platform and there's electrified paint everywhere. And it's just, it's brutal. I mean, yeah. you have to do lots of crazy wall jumps and you know, it's not like you have the, the spin jump to, to waffle a little bit or the floater to waffle or anything. I mean, it just, I feel like the game is significantly more difficult than both Mario 64 and Mario Galaxy. Maybe not more than Mario Galaxy 2. Mario Galaxy 2 is pretty pretty hard, but Mario yeah. Sunshine really is just yeah, it's it's not only is it difficult to play like the actual platforming is difficult. It's just a lot of there's a lot of puzzle solving. There's there's a lot of environmental puzzles you have to solve. Even like in the hub world, when you're not even in one of right. the stages, there's some shines in the hub world. I'm pretty sure I never actually got. I really like the hub world in that game. It really feels like it has a good personality, um, and, and there is some interesting stuff to explore. I mean, it's not the same wow factor as as the Castle of Mario 64. I mean, it's hard to compete with that wow factor. It's very, very and true. so, to me, Mario Sunshine doesn't have the same personality that Mario Galaxy or, or Mario 64 have, but it still has a really interesting hub world. I think they did a really good job. There's a bunch of stuff to play around with. Like, It's just fun to try to collect 100 coins in, in that level. Usually, collecting 100 coins is, is pretty painful in a lot of the levels in, in the Mario games, but um, in that hub world, like the way the coins are place so sparsely you really just it's just sort of an incentive to explore and, and yeah and going for 100 coins really just sort of makes you uh explore all the nooks and crannies of that hub world so it's pretty cool um, i uh, i really enjoyed the the sunshine level in mario galaxy 2 if hope that isn't a spoiler it's fairly midway through yeah, the game but it, but yeah Mar Mar galaxy 2 has has a sunshine throwback stage it's not actually a stage from sunshine but it's clearly derived from the the, the theme the perva prevailing theme of sunshine that being well, they even the have the, uh, the, 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 the the people whatever they're called yeah. delfino the Delf, Delf, Delfinoans. The Pintas or the... Pin, pin, yeah, that's not, that, that sounds right. That sounds yeah. right. Anyway, I, it's it's a good game. I mean, I think some of us overrated it when it first came out, but... I think I think it gets awesome. a bad rap. I think I think it's unfairly maligned as being a, you know, a bad Mario game. Maybe not bad, but people talk about it as if it is not a good game, only because it's the worst of the 3D Mario games, which is still... You know, <laughs> it's pretty good. It's still, still pretty good if you ask me. I mean, the, the Yoshi mechanic is pretty broken. I don't understand why. They fixed it in Galaxy. That's for Galaxy. They fixed it in Galaxy too. Absolutely. I, I mean, okay, I can sort of see maybe not allowing Yoshi in the water, maybe. But what's with those barfing juice, man? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty gross. Yeah, that's, that's really <laughs> gross. I kind of forgotten about that until you brought it up earlier. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's not that's not cool. <laughs> Yoshi is pretty irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, it went from Yoshi eating everything to Yoshi eating tons of fruit to Yoshi barfing fruit juice. They turned Yoshi into a bulimic. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Setting a poor example, our dinosaur friend. Yeah, it's okay. He, he seems to have recovered from his uh, <laughs> disability. <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's go on to another game with less fruit juice. Fantastic.
wonderful. I uh, have a bad feeling people who played this game might not have ever heard that song, which is sad. If it's if it's what I'm if it's what I'm thinking. song i do too i do too the uh the question for this game shall i read that sure who tells you the secret to entering the third stage in this game secrets shocked i have not used this game for radio trivia yeah so was i um i i'm pretty sure i've selected this game about eight times and then put it aside for various reasons because like well i can always use this game (laughs) well now it's off your list sorry (laughs) uh it's good that we're using this now um and uh i love this game it's zelda 2 it's got that distinct vibrato nes instrumentation well, yes, and I think this game distinctly uses that a particular instrument. Yeah, it, yeah, it's pretty telltale sign for this game. Not, not that the comp- compositions themselves aren't uh, pretty much a giveaway, um, except for maybe the first one, which was the 
credits theme. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Most people who play this game, unfortunately, haven't heard the credits theme because it's too hard. Or at least that's the common belief, I should say. I don't know. Um, I admit that I kind of exploited a, a little trick to get to the final dungeon because um, there's a long path you have to go up to get to the final dungeon. Uh, yeah. And there are a lot of sections with caves where if you walk over a, a predefined square, it brings you to a cave. Because, uh, you know, maybe we should back up. So, in this game, there's an overworld. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, I know this trick, though. I know exactly where you're going with this. And, and enemies basically appear if you wander off the road. And if you run into an enemy, then it transports you into a, the side-scrolling area where you you fight and you have to get to the one edge or the other of the screen or battle arena um, to exit. So you can exploit this by getting hit by one of these guys when you're in the middle of transitioning between one square and another. And you'll just fight the normal baddie. When you're done, you wind up on the square you were going to completely. And so you can basically walk over the predefined arenas, which are really difficult sometimes. On, so, that, on that final strip before the last palace, the, the, the guys you run into aren't necessarily easy either. So you're, no. you're skipping a, a very difficult section with a moderately difficult section. Uh, right. Where you still may die, but... But yeah, that, the the last stretch to the final palace and then the final palace itself is is just it's pretty brutal. Especially the last palace, if you don't know where you're going, is really difficult. I I, I memorized the path through when I was when I was pretty pretty young, and same now here. whenever I play through it again, I just know to always follow the same path. And I amazingly haven't forgotten that path because I actually just played through this game last summer, all the way uh, yeah. all the way through it. Uh, I haven't played this game through all the way in a while, uh, in part because I, I've lost save files and just sort of getting disinterested halfway, but I'm the same way. Um, I mean, I, I played through this game probably six or seven times in my life, and um, and so I, although I can't remember right now how to get through that last dungeon, probably if I got myself there and was playing it, I probably could do a damn good job. Yeah. So, um, But there are a lot of like dead ends and tricky trap doors and things like that in the final dungeon that uh, that really make it interesting. It's, it's it's in a lot of ways more like a Metroid game, especially in that final dungeon. That last and, uh, stage is, certainly, yeah. Yeah. By the way, if you haven't figured it out, this is Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. I thought we already said that. But, I, I, don't, I don't think we did, but just just, uh, just in case we didn't, now we've said it twice. So just in case. All right. Yeah, uh, so... And the answer to the question, shall we, shall we reveal? Right, so, um, of course, there, there are... Temples, and then there are our, um, our towns. Sorry, I'm blanking out here. Um, and so you, you kind of hop between these two, and there are little fetch quests and things. And so uh, part of what you have to do is is get help from townspeople to figure out how you move, how you progress. Sometimes it's optional. Sometimes you just got to do it. And so there's this one guy named Error who tells you the trick to. Uh, to get into the third palace. He only tells you the trick after you've met his friend first. If you haven't met his friend, then instead he says the famous line, I am error. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure I ever talked with him um, after I met his friend such that I, he would give me the hint. I, I think there's a, there was a lot of broken attempts at this sort of questy, uh, adventuring listen to townspeople thing. I mean, Zelda 1 kind of did it, but it didn't really try. It was more like figure it out on, by yourself. Yeah. Zelda 2 was their first attempt by Nintendo to really 
try to create a world where you had to help people out and and get hints, but the translation was kind of broken in a couple of spaces. Places? Oh my god. You had to talk to townsperson A before you talked to townsperson B to either get the item you needed or to get the, the clue to the, to the location. Uh, that was the vast majority of it. Yeah, and, and it was not clear that that's what you were supposed to do sometimes. <laughs> no, it was not clear. Now, wasn't there like a East versus West translation error as well in here somewhere? Yeah, I think there was um, with Bagu, the person who um, gets you across the river. Yeah, it was, it was either there was a translation error or you were able to talk to a townsperson that gave you a hint to something later in the game dealing with a different direction, which caused mass confusion. It was near the beginning of the game. Yeah. Um, shows how much I remember about this stuff. Um, you know, when I play through the game, I don't really bother talking to people much. Oh, and towards the, <laughs> towards the end of the game, the people start turning into enemies when you're in the town. Oh, yeah. And then so. there's the town that you have to find by mowing down the forest, which yeah. totally is not obvious at all. No. I think there is some sort of hint somewhere, but yeah. I can't blame anyone today for not wanting to finish this game. But I, I managed to do it when I was a kid. You know, I, I had a I had a little black strategy guide that had a lot of uh, walkthroughs for um, common NES games. I think it was the the official Nintendo strategy guide. I'm not sure if Zelda 2 was in there. It might have just been the first one. But I do know that today's internet uh, is equivalent to yesterday's strategy guides. And I'm fairly certain I had something to help me with Zelda 2 because I can't fathom I would have finished it on my own. I, uh... I figured that shit out by myself, or maybe with some, with some friends or something, but um, Zelda 2, I don't recall having too much difficulty with. I think maybe the area where you have to find the uh, the hidden uh, town, I think I probably needed to get some help there. But the original Zelda, I can tell you for a fact that I figured out on my, by myself, and it took me like eight years to find one of the dungeons in the second quest. And, um, and so there was a period of time where I couldn't find whatever it was, the fifth or the sixth dungeon in the second quest of Zelda, the original Zelda, and it just, one day I finally stumbled upon it, and it was a brutal trial and error, bombing every single screen type type ordeal, um, so that's the way video games used to be, guys. <laughs> it's true. It was, it was collaboration with friends, strategy guides, and trial and error. Yeah. Some combination of those, of those three. Yeah. Anyway, that's Zelda 2, as well as a little bit about other Zelda games. Um, do check it out. If, if uh, you didn't check it out in the... Uh, I think this was played during the Retroactive a couple of years ago. Yeah, one of the very first ones, I uh, think. Might have been, might have been the very first one. I, I don't remember if it was the first one, but um, it, it's definitely a good game. Um, as long as you approach it not thinking you're going to get a normal Zelda game, it, it's a good game. It's a good action game. The combat's pretty fun. Yeah, I really like the sword play. I think it holds up really well. Um, it's just sort of tight combat, and, and you have to really place your jabs and, and the down stab and the up stab. It just—it's simple, but it works, and it's, it's very satisfying. Um, so I, I, I do encourage people to check it out, especially on virtual consoles. It's a lot easier to play than on your GameCube collection or uh, with a mini D-pad or busting out an old NES that won't work. So. Um, check it out. It's worth the five bucks or, or whatever you can get it for. Um, that's a good game. I agree. So now we're going to move on to a listener request. Um, and 
And that's all I'm going to say about this one. Okay. Exciting. Excited! Feel like Excited, man! feel like I'm at some kind of a factory where awesome things happen. <laughs> oh, well, you're not far off from awesomeness. <laughs> or factories. Or things. Or let's just move on. Interesting.
Okay. <laughs> it is crazy. All right. Uh, here's your question. What creatures can you unlock upon collecting a set number of special coins that are scattered throughout the levels?
Wow. That is that is fairly crazy. I I have no idea what this is, but I I think I want to play it. Well, this is one of the most unintentionally disturbing uh super genki disturbing Japanese games I've ever played and I guarantee you if I had played this while I was living in Japan, my GameCube would have been out on the street in pieces. Um, out the window, I say, because this is Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg, oh. which uh, which is very Japanese. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the English in this game is, oh my God. I will commend them for actually using what sounds like children for the voices for the kids in this game as opposed to whatever voice actresses. But, uh, I mean, the theme song is spells giant egg, G-I-N-T-E-G-G. <laughs> yes. They're teaching a generation of kids how to spell giant wrong. That's fantastic. No! I remember this, this game being kind of a big deal when it first came out, at least big enough that, like, it was getting a little bit of press as sort of a really cool, uh, really cool exclusive, but... Well, well, it was a pretty cool game, and in fact, um, I gave it an eight in spite of me getting really annoyed by the very uh, annoying English and, and cutesiness. Um, in fact, I gave the sound like a five in this game, which I don't really agree with anymore, given the soundtrack. But I'm guarantee you, playing the game, you would—I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, you hear that about every ten seconds because that's a game mechanic where you wear, you wear a chicken suit and. And you're hatching eggs, and so you sing, you scream "kukuyuru" in Japanese "cockadoodledoo." Not even "kokke koko" or whatever their Japanese onomatopoeia is. It's English "cockadoodledoo." Wow! Uh, and and then and then on the screen, like the combat is is that you basically are, you roll eggs around, and you can you can kind of do a boomerang move with them, or you shoot them out and back, or you can bounce up and down on them. And, um, and if you do the boomerang thing and you hit them, it'll say "nice shoot." <laughs> S-H-O <laughs> Yes, I'm damn sure this is in the English version too So, oh, oh my god Wow Yeah, so if I had played that game while I was an English teacher in Japan I would have I would have screamed and thrown my GameCube out the window I guarantee you That's amazing So, uh, so in one sense, I, I wish I thought to use this game When James Charlton was hosting last week But at the same time, it may have driven him insane So <laughs> um, maybe it was for the best um, this was requested uh, a long time ago by Combo, and uh, then more recently by my uh, good friend Steve Ronsley. So I figured it was time to, uh, you know, use the game. Long overdue, I think. That's some pretty fantastic music. Yeah, it's it's a good game. I, I think that um, the platforming is um, it's serviceable. It, it's Sonic Team's attempt at more of a Mario-paced uh, game, a platformer, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they do a decent job at it. It's the Sonic Team's controls are still a little wonky, but um, the slower pace definitely helps uh, the game out. From you know, because you know Sonic games have a bunch of collision detection problems and the like, and right. this game gets around most of them. There, there's still some problems, but overall, it's an interesting game. Uh, the, the real downfall is they repeat mission objectives way too often. I think that pretty much every level has the same. You know, collect the eight red coins type stuff, except they have three or four per world sure. uh, that are, are pretty much repeated. And, and some of them are like, defeat a hundred enemies. I'm like, ugh, come on. So that's its kind of weakness. But um, 
I think it would be a good selection for something like Retroactive, actually, um, for Radio Free Nintendo. It's, it's got some good, it's got some bad. It, it was at one point, you know, a, a highly anticipated game. It's Sonic Team's only real attempt at a, at a platformer that's uh, not a Sonic game. So a lot of interesting stuff going on there. And, and uh, I don't know, maybe like Yuji Naka's last Sonic Team game or something. One of his last because I mean, he, he left not too long after that. I think he had a falling out, perhaps over something like Sonic Heroes. I, I don't know. I don't remember which came first. But um, Actually, I, I don't think we talked about the uh, hatching mechanic for this game. Okay. Um, you roll around eggs, and um, you, you hit enemies with them, and you can bounce up and down using the egg. But you can also roll over, I think it's fruit, that you that's lying around the level. It'll charge up your whatever the egg meter or whatever you want to call it and uh, when it fills up then it's then your egg starts to glow and, and it can hatch and so uh, you push whatever the button is and Billy goes and uh, <laughs> and the, the egg hatches and as long as it's not like the super generic kind of combat egg uh, a creature comes out and so it's kind of like a, a um, it's a summit basically I, mean, I think for a limited time it'll It'll trail you and it'll attack enemies for you, so it's kind of like a familiar. And um, if if you collect these medals, um, you unlock special eggs, and I think it's like a different one every 30 coins or so, or medallions or so, whatever the terminology is for the game. And um, and they're themed after Sonic Team characters, so I think one of them's a Chow. Uh, I think Sonic and Tails show up, um, and some other stuff like that. So they come up with summons where they'll, they'll help you out for a little while. So that, that's kind of a neat little thing. Definitely. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of forgotten about the whole summoning thing. I guess that's sort of forgettable, but that is a part of the gameplay. Um, but certainly not the most unique or interesting part of it. I think they use it to, for puzzle solving. So sometimes you need to patch a certain creature to progress. Sure, sure. Cool. I mean, you got to keep it interesting somewhere. So. Definitely have some variety. It's pretty good, and, and since it's all about Billy Catcher, and, and I think he plays some of his other friends eventually too, um, it doesn't have the same kind of bipolar disorder, disorder that a lot of Sonic games have. So, right, right. Um, that's pretty good. Anyway, um, Billy Hatcher is a good game. Awesome. I may have to try that out. In spite of its super genki kawaii-ness. <laughs>
that sounds kind of I don't know, kind of kind of generic actiony. That's sort of how it should sound, actually, given the context of that game. Yeah. Let's go on to the second song. Okay. Well, that was fairly short. Wacky. No kidding. All right, here's your question. Uh, which franchise is spoofed behind the orange door? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know it makes no sense, but it makes sense if you played the game. Okay. Okay. All right. 
I have no idea what this is. This doesn't even sound kind of familiar to me. Really? Not even that third song? No, not at all. Can't even figure out what, what uh, franchise this is? No, nothing. I got nothing on this wow. one. Wow, well, this is, this is a Simpsons game. And uh, there, there okay, was okay. a little bit of the Simpsons theme in that third song. Um, this is The Simpsons' Bart's Nightmare, okay. uh, which is, I think, uh, I, I actually really like this game. That's I think the really uh, Super captures... NES one, correct? Yeah, I think it also came out for Genesis. Sure, but sure. I, I own the, the Super Nintendo game, and uh, I think it does a really good job of capturing uh, The Simpsons' franchise. It's a really good example of um, really leveraging the, the, uh, uh, a license. A license. Sorry, yeah, can't speak. Well, they, they, they put out like three pretty bad games in the Simpsons franchise on NES. So, really, yeah. it, it couldn't have taken much to get them to get it right on the Super NES. Like, they really didn't have that high of a bar to live up to. But I don't think I ever played any of the Super NES Simpsons games. Yeah, I remember really hitting Bart for the Space Mutants, which I think was the NES game. Where is that the game where you had to look for purple things? But it was sort of like the the same syndrome as. Uh, a boy in his blog where you're just sort of standing there like I don't know what the hell to do exactly it was yeah that was that one was really bad and I think they had also had Bart versus the world and then a Bartman themed game right uh, so um, Bart's Nightmare is is kind of a, uh, a smorgasbord uh, kind of game here and um, the concept is that Bart's asleep and, he, and he's whatever he fell asleep doing his homework or something and uh, he's in a nightmare and you walk around in, in kind of this bizarro version of Springfield where you're walking down a street and uh, avoiding enemies or jumping over enemies for points and, and collecting Zs so you can stay asleep. And the idea is that you've got to collect your homework pages. And so there are homework pages sort of that randomly or pseudo-randomly appear um, that you have to kind of find. And uh, you jump on it and then you enter uh, kind of... Uh, I don't want to call it a mini game, but there there are eight different kind of stages, and each, well, most of them have unique gameplay. There there are a couple of kind of repeats, but it, so there's one where you're like uh, Bartzilla, where you're just destroying things and trying to rack up points yeah. as you walk along, um, and then the second half of that you have to climb up the, I guess the Empire State Building, um, to the top, and if you get that, then you get your your homework page, and then there's another one that's or another two that are really good where they're kind of like uh, side-scrolling kind of brawlers or, or something where um, it's itchy and scratchy theme where you're running around, you got to get like a hammer or like a insecticide that's like out of a gun and you're just basically shooting. I think it's like lots of itchies and scratchies, but there may be other enemies. I don't remember. So that that's kind of cool. Um, then there's one where you're Bartman just sort of flying through a, a kind of, um, I guess it's kind of a shoot 'em up Kind of a side-scrolling airplane shoot 'em up spoof. Okay. Okay. So, so there's a bunch of variety, and um, each each door is unlabeled, but it's a different color. So you always have your choice between two missions of different colors. So you, you get a little bit of option of branching. So if you fail, you can keep trying, basically. You know, amazing. One of those first two songs, I was thinking, um, uh, Krusty's Funhouse for NES. Mm-hmm. But I knew you had already done that one, so. Right, uh, that's also came out for Super Nintendo. That's a much worse Simpsons game. So I mean, I guess I was kind of right on the right track without even real, without even really realizing it. Yeah, um, it's a fun game. Like, I think it has some broken game mechanics, but uh, it looks really good. I think the sprite art, the sprite work, and the backgrounds um, really do a good job of capturing the Simpsons. Um, it's just sort of a fun to watch and, and at least amusing to play. 
Um, some mini games are better than others, but um, I think they had a really good idea with this game. Um, one one of the areas which is probably the trickiest is uh, kind of an Indiana Jones spoof, which is behind the orange door, which is yeah. the question, um, where they're, you're sort of going from one end to the other to get your get your page, and there's maybe three-quarter views mm-hmm. where there are maybe four blocks per row, and you've got to jump from block to block, and some are... Uh, some will fall if you jump on them once. Some will fall, you know, after a couple of jumps on them, and, and you sort of have to maneuver around. And if you pay careful attention, you can kind of tell which blocks are safer than others. Yeah, yeah. And then in the background, there's it's kind of like the Temple of Maggie or something. All you, all you hear is the pacifier sucking from from Maggie going, you know. And yeah, yeah. and uh, in the background, there are giant like Mag- Maggie statues where some of them will spit out the pacifier at you so you got to be careful so it's it's kind of it's pretty creative i think it's a really well done game um it's not going to win any awards for best gameplay but it it's fun it's it's i think it was published by acclaim i think that sounds that sounds right Um, i think this is a game that I, i i put in and played for a few minutes and couldn't quite figure out what i was doing but never really tried very hard like there's a hub level on the street and i don't think i ever right. really figured out how to get out of the hub level i probably played it for no more than five minutes right i mean it isn't self-explanatory you're basically aimlessly wandering until you find a page and sometimes the, i think the first one usually appears pretty quickly yeah but if you don't know that you have to jump on the page then yeah it's a lot of wandering around <laughs> until you figure that out right i'm sure if you read the instruction booklet or, or something along those lines sure if anyone ever does Indeed, um, but it it's a good game. I mean, it's simple, but it's good. Very good. Oh, I'm sorry. This one was requested by TJ Spike. So thank you, TJ Spike. I'm glad you requested it because uh, I definitely have fond memories of Bart's Nightmare. Um, with that, we're going to go on to the last game, which is an Andy request. So enjoy. <laughs>
sounds like the background music during some sort of an introduction. I like and, that song. Yeah, it's sort of an introduction or character character setup backstory kind of thing. Sit down for ten minutes while I tell you my story. Exactly. daunting doom and gloom it is very doomy probably some sort of fight music i suppose why don't you doom us with your question sure enough which flying character in this game quickly becomes one of the more powerful characters in your in your on your team
Very exciting. That sounds like some uh, happy exploration music. Why are you playing dumb here? You selected this game. I know. I'm just saying. If, if, if I didn't know what it was, that's what I would think it was. It is happy exploration music. Except for the fact that you have to like push A to like go upstairs or something. You have to push A exactly. to you have to push A to explore um, the environment, like the oh, barrels right. and barrels in the bookshelves, yeah. and to talk to people. That's right. Uh, there's a menu to talk. There is a menu to talk because they didn't learn anything from the fallacy of Dragon Quest. They learned a little bit. There's at least fewer options, and they're all illustrated with lovely animated icons. Oh uh, well, but Camelot loves their animated icons. They really do. They really do. <laughs> this is Shining Force 2 for the Genesis slash uh, Virtual Console slash uh, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 collection slash whatever else <laughs> this game has been released on. Um, it's a game I played a little bit of. I, this is another uh, retroactive selection, actually. But um, I didn't really get into it. I, I really couldn't get past... Uh, the fact that this is a turn-based strategy game where it's unclear what order your characters move in. Um, I, I'm sure there is some rhyme or reason to it, but it's just so obtuse to the average player. It just drove me insane. You know, this is one of those games that I, I, I loved this game dearly when I, was, when I was younger. I think having revisited it recently for the, um, for the retroactive, I, I have seen that the game has... Uh, a fair number of, of pretty gaping flaws, and, and that is one of them. There, there is, there is a rhyme or reason, but it's not apparent to you until you've already gotten yourself, uh, you know, waist deep into the battle. Once you've played like three rounds, and you'll notice that the characters tend to go in the same turns over and over again. But even that can be broken by the fact that some monsters get multiple turns per round. Right, and which, people level up, yeah. and that changes their speed statistics and, correct, and whatnot. Correct. So it's okay to do that mechanic, but they really needed to have an easy way for you to reference what order your characters are going, at least. Yeah, that's um, that's, a, that's a fair point. And of course, the storyline is pretty pretty standard fare. Nothing nothing too fancy. I think what really what really drew me to this game, you know, back when I was younger, was really i think more than anything else the simplicity of it um and that's that i've never been a big i've never been a big rpg guy i always like the idea of rpgs but the, the execution of them and trying to keep track of so many things at once it's never really been the kind of thing that i, that I enjoy doing or that i'm good at and shining force does a good job of not really making you pay attention to a good a good amount of that stuff there's no armor um there's weapons but there's no armor so you have to keep track of that uh, there's very little in terms of customer char of, of character customization. It's really just how awesome is the weapon that you give them, right. um, and how and how do you choose to level them up? Which basically means how often do you do you feel like using them, and which characters of the you know 30 to 40 that you come across during the game do you actually choose to play with? That's really the bulk of the customization. Right. And I can appreciate that. I mean, you look at a game like Fire Emblem or modern Fire Emblems or Final Fantasy Tactics, there's a crap load of stuff to manage. Yeah, there and, really is. Um, and so I can appreciate them going for a simpler route. The problem is they, it's simpler without being clear, and so it still winds up being confusing. Um, yeah, I can, I can certainly understand how that would, that would throw some people off. I don't know why it didn't didn't bug me didn't bug me once upon a time, but it it really didn't. Um, yeah, I think I, I remember playing Final Fantasy Tactics Advance for Game Boy Advance and uh, getting about two to three hours in the game and realizing how much there really was to do. 
and learning that if I if I didn't have the strategy guide, I wouldn't have any idea how to <laughs> properly level up my characters. And right. That that was a major turnoff for me. Like the yeah. idea that the game like actively requires you to consult a strategy guide to get information that's not contained in the manual. I mean, I realize this is sort of meant to be a trial and error, learn as you go kind of thing, but these are these are characters you're going to be playing with for 20, 30 hours, if not more. Uh, doing it wrong is kind of a big deal. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you can, you can do it wrong into a corner. I mean, I, I haven't really played the tactics games, but I'm sure I've told this story before on this podcast, but for uh, the first Fire Emblem that came out in the U.S. Um, on the GBA, right. uh, I didn't really know how to properly level up my characters, so I was relying pretty heavily on um, secondary characters, characters that if they died weren't going to necessarily end my game, and I was not leveling up really my lords very much. And that came back and bit me on the very last level where you were required to play with all of your lords and very few other characters. And so I was forced into a situation where my my characters that I was forced to play with were grossly underpowered where they would just die after, you know, in one hit, basically. And, um, and it was broken. I couldn't beat the game. That's and, uh, annoying. And that's definitely the sort of thing that you can get into with these sorts of games where there's a certain way you're really supposed to more or less play. And if you don't know, you can... You can really trap yourself. So. Yeah. But Shining Force doesn't really doesn't really let you make those kinds of mistakes, and that's one of the things. I mean, pretty much most of the characters in the game, like there's not really. It's hard to do it wrong because you'll find you'll find very early that trying to focus on the secondary characters is not going to win you very many very many battles. Um, so while there are some some secondary characters that you do want to try to go out of your way to level up, I never really I never really made a point to do it, and I was fine. Um, there's just some characters that are overwhelmingly overwhelmingly powerful, and they'll stay that way no matter no matter really how you choose to play the game. Hmm. Well, one thing is that there is no real penalty for dying, right? I mean, you might lose no. some money or something, but there's no penalty for dying. In fact, you're actually there's actually incentive to die. Because the only way to truly grind in the game, there's no random battles, the only way to truly grind in the game is to play most of a battle and then choose to kill off your main character or retreat so that you can play the battle over again, keeping the experience that you won already the first time through. So I've played a little bit of this game, and I'm pretty sure I could go back to where the first major battle was and replay it. Um, so really? I, think, I think you can replay battles you've already I'm wrong at least, this, at least some least, of them. Maybe um, not all of them. Maybe some. I think actually, yeah. now that I think about it, some of the overworld ones do, in fact, keep coming back. Right. You so, are correct about that. Now that I think about it, so maybe it's just the case that most battles, most of the storyline-driven battles, uh, go away, and most of the combat in the game is storyline-driven battles. But you're right. Not all of it is. Not all of it is. Anyway, uh, there are a bunch of characters. Like you said, um, some of them are just grossly overpowered. And uh, I guess one of them is Peter the the Phoenix. Yeah, you come across Peter the Phoenix fairly early in the game, maybe maybe two two three hours in, um, and you don't even get to control him for the first two or three battles after he joins your team. Uh, you come across him, and then you have to take him to the top of some mountain. And then once that happens, then you actually get complete control over him. And uh, just right off the bat, not only does he have you know considerably more movement range than anybody else in your team because he's flying. Um, 
there are a couple other flying characters, but they're not very powerful. Uh, this guy has the same movement of the flying character that you already have, but he has as much, if not more, attack power than your strongest warrior right from the right from the from the get go. Um, which basically means that the second you get him, he's your best character, and because he's your best character, you use him, and because you use him, he's always your best character. So unless you actively choose to ignore the fact that he's there, he's probably the most important part of your party um, every time you play the game. Well, in most Fire Emblem games, they tend to have these characters that that are powerful, but if you rely too heavily on them, then your other characters don't level up as much as they need to. Yeah. Um, does that really happen in this game? I, I don't think it's that strong of a concern. Um, I think there are some characters that you'll wish you had powered up later on in the game, but they get... The, the game is long enough that they give you ample opportunity to to level up all the characters that you really want to. Um, so I don't think that's that big of a concern that you have to actively avoid using him just to just to get your other guys up there. I mean, there there is there's some strategy to it. Clearly, if if you have the opportunity to take an enemy down to like one hit point and then bring up a, like one of your healers to to finish him off to get the extra experience, it's not never a bad idea. But I don't know that Shining Force 2, or Shining Force 1 for that matter, are, are complex enough that you really have to worry about that. But I, I might be wrong. If, you know, I haven't really played the game all the way through since I was in middle school, which, if you're counting, was about 15 years ago, um, if not more. So I've, I've played the first three hours of this game probably about four times. I haven't played past that in a really long time. So my memory, you know, it's, it's the memory of, memory of a 14-year-old trying to do a podcast 16 years later <laughs> nice shoot nice shoot indeed kura kura something or other that's the one that's the one no but i, I know i really like I, I have very fond memories of it. it you know it's one of those games that i i would have probably have called my favorite game for at least a couple of years mm-hmm. once upon a time so one of these days i need to sit down and play through it all the way again just so i can say i've done it i actually did beat this game legitimately without cheating or anything and i can't say that i've done that with any other rpg that i can think of i can't think of any other rpg that i've actually plowed through to the very end of i've never beat a final fantasy never beat a dragon quest um mario and luigi you know, i've never beat a mario and luigi i i got about halfway through bowser's inside story and just i just couldn't couldn't do it i just i i liked it but i got to a point where i just didn't care anymore uh, same with paper mario um I have beat Mario, uh, Super Mario RPG for Super NES. I, I did beat that one. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is about me and RPGs. I like the idea of them, but man, when I sit down and try to play one, it's rare that I get past two hours. It's just it's incredibly <laughs> rare. Oh well, well you have Shining Force too. And, I'll, I'll uh, always have Shining Force too. Would you recommend playing the first one if if you like the second one, or about the same, or is there a drastic improvement? I think there's a fairly drastic improvement with the second one, just in terms of the execution of the um, the execution of the, of the engine of the game, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like the second one, try the first one. If you didn't like the first one, there's a slight chance the second one might change your mind, but really they're not that dissimilar. So I would say that if you like either of them, play the other one. If you didn't like either of them strongly, there's not a whole lot of reason to go play the other one. If you are kind of indifferent about the first one, maybe try the second one. I mean, they're, I think they're both fairly, fairly decent games. I don't know that anybody would consider them awful, 
uh, even if even if you didn't think it was particularly great, it's it's not. I don't think anybody would consider them, you know, like failures of games. I think they're still pretty pretty fun. No, I think they have really good presentation. They just have some mechanical flaws, unfortunately. Especially, yeah. I think really it's the menu system. I mean, if if you didn't have to open up a menu to explore, and if the menu system had a way to look up what order your characters are going to attack in, I think that would solve the vast majority of my complaints for this game. I mean, those yeah. are the two major turnoffs that I would say, you know what, I don't want to play this game. Those are the two major things. So Yeah, yeah. Some of the battles are really, really take away. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty par for the course for any strategy RPG, yeah. but once you get deeper into the game, some of the battles take, you know, one or two hours to play. And definitely, definitely once you're that far into the game, once you're that far into a battle, that far into the game, you get a real, like, sense of what's going to happen with the turn order. It's one of those things where you, you just sort of you just sort of feel it. You don't really know for sure, but you're pretty sure you're and you, you're right more often than you're wrong. But yeah. it's still it's still to a certain extent guesswork. I don't know. I died quite a few times trying to play the game because I I guess I didn't understand its game, but I wanted to play it like a fire emblem game or something. I don't know. It's definitely not a fire emblem. Yeah, definitely not. All right. Well, uh, I think we're gonna close up shop here. Um, I want to thank you, Andy, for uh, co-hosting and choosing some pretty awesome games here. Hey, no problem. Um, Thanks for having me on. It was fun. And uh, if you have your own game suggestions, email me at typ at nintendoworldreport.com. I've gotten some great suggestions over the last couple of weeks, and I, I want to get more. So uh, keep them coming, guys. All right. With that, uh, good night, goodbye, uh, and uh, check out the newscast. I probably should have mentioned that earlier. <laughs> I'll be on it next time, I promise. And no more, oh. no more cricket talk. That was that was a bit, a bit of a disaster last week. <laughs> right. So uh, check Andy out on the newscast and uh, check out uh, everyone else in the newscast as well. There's Zach and and Neil and, and Neil, uh, who have also, of course, been on the show before. So go listen to it. <laughs> All right, bye, everyone. Goodbye. Good night. Super Mario Sunshine is copyright 2002 Nintendo. Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link is copyright 1987 Nintendo. Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg is copyright 2003 Sonic Team Sega. The Simpsons Bart's Nightmare is copyright 1992 Acclaim. Shining Force 2 is copyright 1994 Sega.
It's cute, but like the kids still have the facial features of maybe like Sonic, so they have these really huge wide jaws. That look like they're like they're painfully smiling. That's crazy. <laughs> it's hard to explain. You'll, if you watch a video of the intro, you'll you'll see what I'm saying as as well as uh, the music in question of G I N T E G G. Yay! <laughs> All right, let's let's move on now. Um, <laughs> I'm losing my mind. <laughs> Joe will make your dreams come true.